Hello and welcome to Reagan Communications Podcast, the Communication Spotlight, a podcast with content for both internal and external communicators. I'm Justin Teach, Reagan's Director of Virtual Events and your Communications Spotlight host. On today's episode, we look at a discussion from our recent employee communications, PR and social media summit at Microsoft. Today's focus is about working together to overcome internal communications challenges. Effective employee communication engagement efforts require support and insights from stakeholders across your organization, which means breaking down silos and working together to ensure that employees' needs and behaviors are kept in mind, business goals are answered by communications efforts that make the most sense, and both campaigns and messages are regularly evaluated to ensure the results do more than just clutter employees' inboxes and annoy them instead of informing and inspiring them. This session features Susie Kanzor, the Director of Hacking for the Garage at Microsoft, Kelly Hipchen, Program Manager, Enterprise Business Management of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Amy Cott, the Senior Director of Employee Communications and Engagement for the Expedia Group, Jessica Arnold, Senior Manager of Culture, Change, and Communications of Deloitte, and the panel is moderated by Jake Jacobson, the former Director of PR, Children's Mercy, Kansas City. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content featuring the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and save $300. Thank you very much, Becky. Um, but yes, I will be reminding you early and often to submit your questions because when you do, they pop up here on my fancy pink tablet. And then <laughs> I can be able to see what questions that we want to uh, make sure we talk to our panelists about. You can vote for your favorite questions uh, and that will push it up the list. Uh, so it's just a really fun way and better than making you stand awkwardly in the middle of a room behind a microphone hoping that we finish talking. So it's a, it's a cool way to, everybody wins. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to have all of our panelists introduce themselves because they know their LinkedIn bios better than I do. Um, and so then we'll just have a fun little conversation. Uh, I like to think of these panels as successful as if the five of us were having a great time talking, even if you weren't here. I mean, we're glad you're here. But also that way, we're just going to have a fun little chat up here. Uh, but really, that interaction through the audience uh, questions is a fantastic way to keep it all going. So Kelly, would you like to get us started? Um, I'm Kelly Hipshin. I live here in Seattle. I work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, I've been there for the last five years. Um, and my entire career has been focused on um, internal communications um, and employee communications. My first three years at the Gates Foundation was um, on their employee communications team, working with our leadership, communicating out to employees. And then two years ago, I took a kind of side pivot, uh, and I work underneath our enterprise business management team now, I'm still communicating out to all employees, um, but um, we have reframed and restructured our um, annual planning and strategy review process, which if you could imagine at the Gates Foundation, the way that you get funding is very important, um, and so mostly focused on some um, enterprise-wide change management in the last couple of years. All right, thank you. Jessica. I'm Jessica Arnold. I lead culture and engagement for Deloitte Global, which is essentially the central organization of Deloitte. So we have about 6,000 professionals who don't serve clients directly, but we serve Deloitte. So we are basically Deloitte for Deloitte. So as part of my portfolio leading culture and engagement, I really focus on connectivity for those 6,000 professionals and their influence to the larger 300,000 people of Deloitte. All right. 
Susie. Hi, everybody. Um, I am Susie Kanzor, and I am the director of hacking for the Microsoft Garage. I'm hoping some of you have heard of it. Um, I've been at Microsoft for 14 years, um, mostly in the event space. Um, but now in the garage, I oversee um, all of our communications. But in addition, I run what is called the One Week Hackathon, which is the world's largest private hackathon. 27,000 employees worldwide took part last year. Um, and that's employees of every different discipline. So we have the challenge of bringing together um, every different discipline in the company and making uh, the hackathon meaningful for all of those folks. Perfect. All right. All right. And hi, everyone. My name is Amy Cott. I just want to say, as a word of um, excusing up front, I am suffering from the mother of all colds. So if I sound a little stuffed up, that, that's why. Uh, so I lead our global employee communications team for Expedia Group. For those of you who are not familiar with Expedia Group, you may have heard of brand Expedia. Expedia Group is the parent company. We have uh, over 20 brands in our portfolio from Trivago and HomeAway to VRBO, Travelocity, you name it. So we are the overall parent company for that. And our team is really focused on helping our 28,000 worldwide employees worldwide to personally connect with our strategy, our vision, and our purpose. And we aim to be the world's travel platform and really want to focus on bringing the world within reach for our customers. So that's what we focus on. All right. Well, thank you. Um, and what I love about this panel and, and the roster we've built here is not only do we have this super smart uh, row of experts here, but also coming at internal communications from different perspectives. And so I think that's going to be a really nice thing. So you're not just going to hear the same thing over and over, because if we're all just going to say ditto, then we could just go to the cocktail hour now, um, <laughs> which, sorry, I, I can't promise that. Um, so you guys have been awesome already in uh, firing up. Isn't it like a little video game? You get to vote for your favorite questions. Um, so we have one of the questions that has skyrocketed to the top of the leaderboard already. Um, what are your tips for getting executive buy-in for your new campaigns, initiatives, or resources? Kelly, do you want to start? I know when we talked about change management, that was a big part of it. Yeah, um, I have one example. I'm sure there are more. Um, one thing that's worked really well for me in two different scenarios is um, pulling in voices of the people rather than us explaining to us as communicators, explaining to our leadership why this is important, pulling in voices. Um, I did it once when I was leading the annual employee meeting for the Gates Foundation. Um, we had a group of employee volunteers who um, recommended one of the kind of days of annual employee week. They pulled together a curriculum. And so we visited the executive leadership team. And instead of um, me representing what the recommendation was. We brought in two reps, um, and they were employees who would have never, um, in their day jobs, had an opportunity to present to the executive leadership. Um, and it was just beautiful um, and built the buy-in to show where all of the thinking had come from. Uh, similarly, we did that on um, our change management effort, where we had a prototype, and we were um, giving our CEO an update on how it was going. And instead of our team sharing it, we pulled in two of the leaders from the prototype teams um, who we encouraged to say unscripted exactly how it was going. And if, it, if there were things that were bumpy and not going well, we encouraged them to tell her. Um, and they did. And she ended up choosing to scale to the organization early because she was um, so convinced by what they were um, seeing. So um, one tip would be pulling in the voices um, themselves rather than us representing them. It's a great idea. Yeah. Who else has executive buy-in tips? So I can add, just to add to that, I think um, bringing in those voices are so important. But it's also important to understand where your executive is coming from. What is important to them? What's top of mind? And then how do you connect your great idea with that business need? 
So I can give you a great example from um, Deloitte Global. We have employees in over 30 locations who are actually sitting within different member firms, but they're also working for Global. So they had all these disparate systems. We knew that we needed a way to digitally connect all of them and make them feel like they were having a global experience as global colleagues, but our leadership was not yet bought in. It wasn't until we had a new COO come in and he said, why can't I communicate with all these people? Why can't I get to everybody at once? Why are we on all these disparate systems that we were able to say, that's a great idea. We've actually built you a framework for that. So Funny it, you mentioned yeah, it. amazing. We're ready. That's great. Yeah. Susie, yeah, and so my example is going to be a little bit different. So um, with uh, the hackathon, it's been a journey because um, not always did executives buy into this because basically you're saying give your people a week to take time off of their job and do something that they're passionate about. So um, that was super interesting. Um, but each of our executives that report to Satya has to provide a challenge in an area of work that they would like to see employees work. And so we were really struggling, though, to get to all those different orgs. So where we went was um, we provided a super in-depth toolkit to every one of the comms leads, because we knew the comms leads were the way in to, um, to what we needed. And we customized them for every different discipline of type of employee, because we found the word hackathon did not resonate with marketers. So what other words could we use? We found that folks in HR had a very different sense of what they would get out of this experience. So we created a very, very deep toolkit with basically everything that the comms person for each senior leadership team member would need, everything from emails already done for them, you know, a small um, different um, vid videos, we did creative, um, but we made it as easy as possible so that it was very low overhead on them. Uh, yeah, sure. Mine's just really quick. Uh, I just, I usually only have five minutes to make my case. So it's a carrot <laughs> and stick approach. Very, very quick, no matter what the, the proposal is. Carrot being, here's the data. I think Kristen mentioned that in our keynote, the opening keynote about the importance of data. Executives love data. They eat it up. So I cannot go in there without having some hard data to say, this is why we need to do this. Here's the statistics to back it up. Here's how this will impact the business and why we need to do it. And sometimes if I have a little extra few minutes, I'll throw in some best practices of our key competitors and say, and this is what they're doing. <laughs> um, the stick would be, here's the trade-offs if we don't do it. So then I always make sure to say, if we don't invest in this, this is what you will lose. This level of support you think you're getting now will go away and what you want to achieve won't happen. So carrot and stick, and usually in and out in 15 minutes, and it's been successful pretty much so far. So that's well, it. and that, that focus on data is a perfect segue to another one of our top questions here. Um, how can you best measure what's working and what's not with employee communications campaigns? So what are some of those metrics, analytics that you guys look at to be able to show the executives, hey, look, this is working, or maybe we need to reassess and adjust? Yeah. Um, I can take that first. We, we've really moved away. We're starting to move away from the annual engagement survey. I think that is a lot of what a lot of companies are moving away from. While you can still have that as a benchmark, and that's fine, that's good. It, it doesn't have to completely go away. We're moving more toward real-time sentiment gathering. So how can we do these instant poll surveys, these quick polls? Um, there's a number of vendors, some even based here in Seattle, one called Tiny Polls. There's a number of other platforms that do this where you can easily integrate things into your, um, into your mail, into your internet homepage, where you're doing instant quick polls. You're understanding um, 
you know, to the day how people are feeling and you can design interventions that are immediate and you can look and say, oh, this communication landed this way with this manager group in this part of the world, we need to fix this. Rather than waiting for that 12 month cycle, which is by the time you get that data, it's already too late, right? And for, for us, um, it's so Microsoft has a once a year, the poll, um, which is, um, you know, similar. Um, but then every day, a certain number of employees get what's called the pulse. Um, and what we've done um, specifically for the hackathon is we've asked the exact same questions that are on the poll and the pulse. And we've seen what happens during the week of the hackathon that changes those numbers. So we've seen about a bit, you know, about 10% increase. Like, how do you feel about the company during the week of hackathon? Um, and we started doing that because we really felt like we needed to see how was this activity actually changing, because we're looking for, for culture change. We're looking for people to feel better about being at the company and that type of thing. So we asked the same questions, and now we can show data on the slides that people feel better during that week. You also bring in donuts that week. That would help, too. Yeah, that would bring in a lot of free food that week, and that does help. Yeah. What about you guys? What do you, what do you measure to be able to look at these campaigns and see how they're working? So I would say, too, it's important to have a common measurement Right, so the intranet portal that I mentioned that we built, we have actually created that in a way that many different business units can make their own little tailored landing pages and newsletters, but on the back end, all of that content lives in the same place. So we're able to get in there and take a look at the data in one place and report out to the different groups what's working well, what's not working well. If we have a central campaign that ends up being pushed out through different targeted newsletters, for example, on the back end, it's all rolling up to the same place. So we're not fragmenting our data. We're very careful about how we collect it. Yeah. Kelly, anything to add to that? Um, we had similar uh, approaches on the employee communications team. Um, on our change implementation um, project, we actually employed um, the AIM methodology, um, which I think is just as good as any other um, methodology to be kind of rigorous about an implementation. But one of the things that we learned was that all feedback is evidence of how it's going. And so we tracked every question, every email, every hallway comment about this sucks or this is awesome was tracked. Um, and depending on what questions you're getting, you can see where people are in the change curve. Um, so the feedback as evidence is a, um, a phrase that we use very often, and, and we continue to track every question. Well, and I like that idea of moving away from or supplementing just that one-time yearly um, survey, because I know that at some of my past employers, then we just spend the entire year chasing down those numbers, you know, and we must improve this <laughs> satisfaction score. Otherwise, you know, the beatings will continue, you know, and so it's that idea of, but then by the time that the survey comes around again, everybody has survey fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that idea of just, I, I love the idea of poll versus pulse. Like that's a, that's a great idea. Can I throw um, in well, just one other, yeah. I, this is just a funny thing is we have always asked the question, what could we do better? And that question is met with, a lot of exuberance, especially our audience, about 80% engineers. Um, they're very free-flowing with their feedback um, to the tune of 78 pages this year. Um, and But we asked for the first time this year, what did we do well? And that was super interesting because I really have not asked that because I thought we would get one page. Um, we got 48 pages. And I will say that's been really, that was a good, simple question to ask. And 
it's given us different things to work on, right? You know, I mean, that kind of feedback, you get, you know, you get something very valuable when you ask people, what did you do well? So I think that was a big learning for us. Well, and it also just frames the conversation a little bit better instead of what are we doing wrong? What can we do better? You know, because then you're just, yeah, opening up the complaint line. So, um, so we have a, a question here that's, again, at the top of our leaderboard. Uh, how can internal communicators better break down all the silos that we all see throughout our organizations and help departments and teams collaborate? Uh, to, um, Go for okay. it. Sure. For me. Okay, sure. Um, that was the deferral. Like, tick, tick, tick. Well, fair point. Let me just give you a little background on me. I spent the last eight years at an agency called Edelman leading their employee experience practice. So recently, about six months ago, I made the move to head up global comms, employee comms at Expedia. So we had, uh, not only was I new in the role, but there was also, we're going through a massive transformation as a company. I think, as I maybe mentioned, that we're moving from a, a bunch of disparate brands that compete against each other into one kind of house of brands, a, a very um, a platform-focused company with a shared backend and a lot of collaboration around shared technology, shared services, just working together a lot more. So we, by necessity, have to collaborate much more. And it's, it's a new muscle. Uh, so some of the things that our team has done in the short time we've been there is to convene a, uh, a committee of, of communicators and internal communicators from across all the different brands and all the different business units. We meet monthly. Not only do we share out the things from the EG level or the Expedia Group level that we'd like everyone's help with across the business to amplify. These are things and, and messages, so we're all being consistent. But also welcoming back what's happening from, from all of the different parts of the business so that we can all be on the same page and aware of what's happening. Um, what stories can we tell of collaboration, um, teamwork, platform thinking? Uh, and then how can we help amplify that at the EG level across the organization so that we're starting to break down the barriers um, from a comms perspective and keeping people aware and informed of what's happening across the company. So that's one step we're taking. That's oh, fantastic. And Who else is breaking down silos? I'll say ours is, um, we actually chose to do the hackathon because the, the goal, when Satya came and asked for a program, he asked for what is there um, that we could do as a company that a marketer, somebody in HR, somebody in engineering, that they could all take part and make something, that they could take an idea that they had and they could do something with that idea and create a proof of concept. It doesn't need to be writing code, it could be other things. And so that was the challenge. Um, it has been a challenge because um, there's very few activities that everybody in your company thinks are, are applicable to them. Um, so it's been really cool though. We're very careful when we see it happening, which we see hundreds of examples of it every year of you know, two engineers teaming up with somebody from stores or an HR person syncing with somebody from finance and legal. Um, and we tell those stories um, because when employees start seeing that and they start seeing that other employees have success and when we see that, like, it's really beneficial when a marketer actually works with an engineer. Like, that's really crazy, right? Um, but when, when employees start seeing that and you tell that story, I think that's what's been so valuable for us. What I love about that is that it's almost like a grassroots ish. It's a, a way of bringing people together and connecting people that wouldn't normally be connected. And so it's not a formal program to break down silos or to have better collaboration. It just happens naturally because you've taken two people that don't necessarily know each other or work together and put them together. We've got a great example from Deloitte where we did something really similar. 
Um, and it was the, the last presentation where um, we heard about the KISS show. And if you were in here for that one, you heard it was really just two IT professionals who figured out that they really enjoyed communicating and wanted to do more of it. Well, what if you could equip them to actually be better communicators and then equip somebody in finance and then equip somebody in HR? So that's essentially what we did at Deloitte. We call it the Communication Superstars Program. And it was born out of the necessity to have more than one communicator at the time me in <laughs> HR who was like, officially able to communicate with the workforce. And I said, well, wouldn't it be great if we could teach more people how to do this and to do it well and to do it on brand and to really tell those stories from their own business units? So it's really grown to be a community of 50 people who are um, now we have professional communicators raising their hands and saying, hey, I heard about this thing that you guys are doing. I want in. And so in that way, we're finding people from finance and HR and IT are all kind of connecting through this community where they wouldn't have before. Well, and they all get pride of ownership in that storytelling instead of being told, send it to communication, send it to HR. Exactly, so yes. that's a that's a great example. And we also give them the ability to submit content directly too. So we of course have a backend editorial process. It doesn't go live right away. But as those superstars get that pride of ownership, we say, and here's the link. When you've got something awesome happening, just tell us about it. And we're we're now, I think member of our editorial team is here, I would say over 90% is user submitted, right? Yeah. That's great. So yeah, building out that network is, yeah. is a fantastic way to get more content and more buy-in. Yes. So that's great. Kelly, do you have anything to add to breaking down silos? Um, I mostly ask my team just to practice what we preach and share our own examples. And then we, we see that other teams will operate the same way. So I guess um, asking our team to avoid like the turf guarding yeah. scenario of this is what we did and it worked well, let's keep it. Um, we, we just shamelessly share our um, trackers, our, anything that we have, our leadership materials, anything that's worked. Um, and we found that um, that behavior is treated likewise with other teams, um, so it works well. Yeah, and if you're going to do something shamelessly, sharing is a good thing to do shamelessly. <laughs> uh, but no, it's funny. It's like you always hear communicators, you know, communications departments joking, boy, for a communications team, we don't really communicate that well. It's like, yeah, because we're so focused on telling everyone else to communicate better that we forget to do it ourselves sometimes. Um, so this is a, a great question. It's an audience question. So uh, one inquiring mind, actually 15 of them now, um, what advice would you give to uh, internal communication specialists that are new to that role? So what do you wish you had known when you were first beginning each of your roles? Everyone is learning, truly. So seek out others and don't be ashamed to ask for someone to share something with you. So you don't have to be an expert learning. on day one. You don't have to be. And the experts who are there for 20 years still don't feel like experts. So everybody is still learning. I would say it's that every single member of your audience, of your internal, like everyone is different. So don't ever lose sight of that because, you know, one message is never, ever going to land with everybody. Um, and so don't sort of fall, you know, fall into that trap. Um, remember, you know, go out and talk to people, talk to employees. You'll see the breadth and depth of, you know, their interests and what words work with them, what excites them, that kind of thing. So I think for me, it's just realizing that we're all individuals. And I also think it's important to build your network, especially if you're new, whether it doesn't matter what level you are in a company or if you're just starting out. 
um, and, and you want to build your network, I think that's really important. There's a book, I think it's called something about never eat lunch alone. Mm. Uh, we all do that sometimes, hunched over our computers, but uh, as much as it's possible to really do that reach out and, and make connections across your, um, your company, across your organization, across different teams. They don't have to be communicators, but just offer to get them coffee, um, understand their perspective, what they're working on. Um, the more you can do that, the more you can understand and get in their mindset, be more empathetic, and that always makes you a better communicator. Well, and that's such a great point because it's so easy to get sucked into just sitting at your desk all the time and thinking that you're communicating because you're answering email. And I know at, at Children's Mercy, our office, our team's office was across the street from the actual hospital. And so there were people who it would really be easy just to lock your door and stay there. Um, but I loved, you know, our, our internal comms team, you would see them walking around the hospital, almost like they're reporters working their beat, you know, and it was so great because then people saw them. And instead of it being us and them, or, you know, it's not just forwarded to internal comms, like that's Bill, you know, and um, I think that visibility helps quite a bit and learning what everybody else does. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot easier to share their stories if you've actually you know, walked a little bit in their shoes. So, I uh, share one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one lesson I learned um, after starting on employee cons was um, I spent a long time trying to answer every idea and piece of feedback that we got because I <laughs> cared so much about these employees. Um, and that is a lesson that is hard to learn, but you just, you just can't. And so I think um, sometimes, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> is an appropriate response. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I am deleting it now. Um, so along those lines, talking about prioritization and everything, um, somebody in our audience here asked, we know what our employees need to hear. How do we discover what employees want to hear? Aside from them just sending an email that you're going to delete. Yeah, I, I think I'll carry that on, actually. I think that... Um, we, I mean, I guess for me, I very often hear through many feedback channels, including the very long YouTube comments at the end of a survey form, um, what employees want. Um, but I think I, our job is to build in all of the perspectives for what, where that employee is feeling and understanding the, the system in which that exists. And that's why, in, in some cases, it's important to log that and, and understand where it's coming from to be able to see the bigger picture of what needs to happen. So I guess I flipped it. You said employee needs versus employee wants. And I think I flipped it to employee want to employee need. That's OK. It's allowed. Thank you. <laughs> What do you do as far as I know, like the daily listening, obviously probably, you know, kind of helps out with that. Um, what are some other things to find out what they want to hear? So some of your measurement tools can help with that, too. Um, so back to the platform that we built, we actually do analyze which um, topics are most popular week to week, which articles are being read, which things are being liked, what gets commented on. So did somebody feel strongly enough that they actually took the time to write a comment? That's something that we definitely want to look at then and understand what that was and what triggered a comment, positive or negative. And so we can do that again. Well, like, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I think just remember, like, some of this feedback can be soul-sucking, right? It's like you think mm. you did everything right. Um, and, and, and there's always the flip side of everything. There's not enough vegetarian food. There's too much vegetarian food. There's not enough communication. There's too little communication, you know? So um, that was um, a very interesting experience. Actually, in the last two days, I've read 78 pages <laughs> of employee wants and needs, right? And so I decided to take a little different tack this year is I highlighted everything 
that I thought we could actually take action on. That next year, if I saw that I had made that change, like next year at the event, I, I would see feedback that said, you listened to us last year. And so um, that has been a good tactic for us because like I saw this year, last year, people gave us a lot of feedback on um, that we weren't being, um, we had too much plastic and that kind of thing. So those can be very important issues and very, very important to your employee base. And if you make those small changes, you notice in, in the feedback that people do notice. Um, but just also remember that you're gonna see the feedback on both sides, but remember that you, you sometimes have to actually meet both of those pieces of feedback. Not too much, too much, you know what I mean? But how do you sort of play that game? So along the idea of, bless you, everybody that's sneezing, suddenly there's a virus going around. Um, <laughs> along the idea of using internal comms to drive change, uh, what are some diversity, equity, inclusion campaigns and strategies that you're implementing now? And what are some tips that you have for getting DNI started? This is another great audience question. So we have a slightly different approach. So maybe I can start this one off. We're actually not implementing any campaigns right now. And we're doing that on purpose because we invested in bringing in an expert in diversity and inclusion. And she is first listening to our people and really trying to understand what is happening in our culture right now and where we need to change. And then we're starting at the top. So we're not doing a big comms campaign. We're not doing a big push. We're actually starting with leadership training and one-on-one -on -one coaching with some of our most senior leaders to make sure that not only do they get the importance, but they understand how to walk it and talk it every single day. Because the research that our new DNI leader has brought to us indicates that actually 70% of the way somebody feels about whether or not they're included comes from their leader. So we've got to start with those leaders. Great perspective there. Anyone else working in the DNI space that they want to share? Sure. Um, we're also working, we have a, a soon to be named DNI leader. Uh, at Expedia Group and work the, the priority there was really setting our narrative as a, as a company. How can we um, how can we uniquely own the DNI space and what we do or DEI space and what do we do that's unique um, within the travel and tech industry to really to make the world a more inclusive place so that we're bringing the world within reach. So every single company, every organization has their own slightly unique take and unique spin and what they can do slightly differently to um, to progress DNI and their if with their customers and their community. So we started by kind of defining what is our kind of unique proposition when it comes to DNI. What is our vision and strategy? We've just really articulated that, socialized that, got that sent set. Um, and now we're building out a strategy that's we're co-creating with a lot of our heads of our business resource groups, a lot of our people who are have a lot of background and, and experience in this space. Um, and then we're going to start to roll some things out uh, in 2020. But really, we're starting by just getting our own house in order first and making sure that we can credibly talk about our commitment to DNI before we start to go out and toot our own horn and talk about too many things externally. But that's our plan now. Very cool. Uh, so this next question kind of goes to a couple things that we've already heard about kind of building a network of communicators uh, that weren't necessarily hired to be communicators. Uh, but how do you engage and motivate people and managers to be effective communicators rather than blockers? So how can you coach communication, basically? Yeah. Well, through our superstars program, yeah. um, it was actually, and I couldn't have predicted this. I wish I could sit up here on the stage and say it was all part of my grand plan. But it <laughs> You can say out, it. None of us can fact check it, so it's fine. <laughs> it turned out to just be such positive visibility for these superstars 
that it was something people wanted to be part of. And we made sure to capitalize on that when we had new superstars joining us. So we send a welcome email to their team leaders as well as to them to let them know that like this is an honor and they're gonna have this kind of responsibility to communicate on behalf of Deloitte and we're super psyched to work with them. And then we try to make it fun. So it's not like, I've got another call that I have to join. And I was Such told a pain I've being a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> we make it fun. I mean, we call it superstars. It's lighthearted. No, it's, every time you say superstars, yeah. I get happier inside. So yes, so <laughs> you know, I can't imagine serious. like being one of them. So that's, that's awesome. Not serious. Yeah. We try to have fun with it. We try to bring them together. We ask for what they want to learn about, what they want to talk about. So we don't drive the agenda, they drive it. And we just sort of connect them with the experts that can help them learn what they want to learn. When I was with um, doing a lot of consulting with PayPal uh, a year or so uh, ago, we there was that that middle. I think someone called it kind of that clay layer, that middle area between kind of the director up to VP, but below VP and and director and up. That really has a hard time, um, you know, cascading the right messages. They're not equipped to be amazing storytellers like often our senior executives are. They're not being. They don't have a sense of community. They they aren't able to connect and learn from each other. So we launched a series called Inside the Director's Studio, and it was really successful. And we brought in, we brought you know directors together. We had kind of a conversation. If you've seen that show, a little bit like we'd, we'd find some different directors, and we'd do some kind of interviewing, fireside chats, and really um, you know help explore what their lessons were, what they were doing well, what they wanted to share with their peers, and then created a whole interactive kind of online community where they could you know share what's, again, what's working well with their teams, um, questions they had, materials and resources they could use, and then our comms team would certainly provide that. So that was just a start about how do you reach that audience and equip them um, with the things that they need to cascade the, the business priorities and strategies. I'm realizing what I love about these panels is like now I'm just like, I want a superstars program. I want to do inside the director's studio. I want this. So, so thank you for adding to my workload. This is great. Um, any other thoughts on coaching communicators? Well, I was just going to say, building off of yours, is like, at the end of the day, everybody wants to tell their story. Yep. Um, and um, people just don't feel like, you know, they can or they don't feel um, empowered. Um, we will have just so many conversations after our event with every, every different kind of discipline. And it's interesting because different people start in those conversations different ways. Um, engineers generally start much more quiet um, and they start like, they don't really have a story, but you get them talking. And then it's like this magic, you know what I mean? And so make sure you're out there talking to your people and make sure you're out there like finding out what's unique about people because you found that is like you found you tapped into the magic, right? Um, and people don't even know their storytellers until you get them talking. Absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. it's tapping that excitement. You know, I mean, I had six years of working with engineers at Garmin, six years of working with doctors at Children's Mercy, and none of them would say that they're communicators, but yet they're so used to, you know, and usually it often started a happy hour. I, I like happy hours, it's fine. Um, but the, you would start to hear them tell it. You're like, I wanna capture this on video, you know, cause now you're hearing it from the expert, not from a press release. And also just reinforcing that they're talking about what they know best, you know, their work, they're the experts in that. You're not asking them about British literature. You know, you're asking them, what do they do on a daily basis? And suddenly a surgeon can become the best storyteller just because they're so passionate about what they do. So, um, so we're talking about things that can go really, really well. Uh, one question here is, what pitfalls or mistakes can quickly thwart internal communications and employee engagement? Also thwart was on my daily uh, vocabulary bingo, and so now I can cross it off. 
when you try to talk to everybody like they're the same person, you know? Mm. When you try to say to a marketer something that should only land with an engineer. I mean, like that to me, like we have learned and we have fallen in that pitfall where we sent out a mail and we sent out the same, you know, same message to everybody and it landed really flat for a lot of people. So I think for me, that was a huge learning that while it takes more time, um, if you want, you know, why even send out the mail if it's not gonna resonate with anybody? So know your audience and know that your audience is often multiple audiences. Yes. So no, that makes a lot of sense. I would add another one too, which is a, a, a pitfall is not incorporating two-way communication. So just communicating out, out, out. Yeah. That's a definite pitfall. Um, I was smiling at your story about inside the director's studio. We did inside the executive studio. <laughs> Ours was not a success story. <laughs> we had a new slate of executives and we thought, wouldn't this be a clever way to introduce them to the organization? But it was one way. It was an interview, kind of a talking head interview in a studio. It, was, it just felt too produced. And we had dismal, dismal view rates. And two years later, we still had people saying, who's that guy? Mm. Yeah. I guess you have so. to start at a different level of a company, yeah. though, because when you, if you start at the senior executives, most people are hear from them so often that this is it's kind of a nice way to shine a spotlight on that second and third le level of leadership down in the company who doesn't always get that spotlight. And they have actually a lot to share and uh, a lot to teach their peers. So I think maybe that is a, a key learning from that. Well, yeah, and, and a so great example you. of good intention, yeah. but, you know, learning how to possibly do the execution a little Absolutely, bit Absolutely, because I think a key part of your story that I heard was the interactivity and the ability to create a dialogue with yeah. them, and we were definitely missing that. See, now we can go back and do it better. We could. Be like, I learned it at Reagan. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, this is a, a tactical question. It kind of goes toward this idea of knowing your audience and how to talk to them. Um, regarding employee newsletters, what's a best practice for types of content to include? Oh, I have an idea. Oh, go. <laughs> <laughs> Our most read um, series in our employee newsletter last year was a series that I made up um, called Mythbusters. And so we had a booth in our um, uh, annual employee week where anybody could come in and drop in a rumor that they had heard. Um, and so that's awesome. That's nice. awesome. <laughs> And like, if they were genuinely confidential, then we would follow up with that individual rather than uh, share it out. But it ended up um, taking place and they pulled it through for the whole year. It was not just a one-time curation. Um, now there's a regular series of requests at the bottom of our employee newsletter to submit a Mythbuster for the team to go chase down. That is awesome. And can you imagine the um, angst going into that? You know, it's like, what are people going to say? Oh, they're so fascinating. Um, I heard Bill and Melinda don't want us to talk to them. Um, like, <laughs> busted. Right, busted. <laughs> but we were able to get Melinda to react to it and send in a response and invite people. So it was, um, it was actually an interesting way to create a dialogue. It's almost like celebrities yeah. reading their mean tweets. You know, it's like Melinda going, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Um, that's awesome. Great. Call them myth-busting superstars, and you could just merge oh, the two. Oh, Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so here's a, here's a great question from the audience. What do you recommend as the best place to start when you're building an internal comm strategy from the ground up? Dun-dun-dun. I mean, well, I can take this, too. I mean, I think one of the best places to start is with the data. I mean, you can, you can, you can you know, come up with what you think are the things that need to be addressed. You can hear anecdotal feedback. I think some, one of the panelists mentioned that as well and earlier in the day. 
Um, but truly, if you're not grounded in the data and you really understand what is it that you're trying to accomplish, do we have the insight to back it up? What are the um, what is what are the business um, you know goals that we're looking to achieve? When you start there, and then how can we move the needle? What are the priority audiences? You might not know that. What are the ways to reach them? How do people want to be communicated with? It's different for every organization. Um, I have one story. We uh, worked for a, a tech company, and I was in my consulting days, and one of our things was to come up with uh, you know, an incentive as part of a comms campaign. And we thought, well, days off. Of course, people would want days off. That's amazing. Um, they'll, they'll, certainly, they'll certainly participate in this particular activation because they want more PTO. Um, but we didn't do our research. And we found out that this particular tech company, which shall rename <laughs> unnamed, uh, the people are workaholics and don't take their, their existing PTO anyway. So giving them more PTO was actually not an incentive at all. <laughs> They didn't want that. So again, just starting from that is as much data as you can gather to really understand what motivates your particular audience in your particular organization because it's different. And then what are you looking to achieve? So I'm all about that, that data and insight at first. And I'll, I'll, just I'll take feed. their PTO. It's fine. I'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'll feed off what you said. It's also like I think that data sometimes it, it can be nerve wracking to gather, right? And people yeah. and so even if you can't do a big study sure. or that yeah. kind of stuff, just go out and do an unofficial. So, I mean, before we make almost any decision with the hackathon, we literally take a tour of all the cafes on campus and we ask like 20 people per, per cafe. That can be data, right? And you can get an awfully good sense of people. So, you know, don't let it stop you if you either don't have the funds or you don't have the wherewithal or you, you can't figure out how to do it. Like, just go out there. Like, don't let that be a blocker. Yeah, and you can use your communities that you have in place for that. Yeah. The cafes are a great one. We use our superstars for that because we already know that it's an intact community that's interested in interacting with us and wants to share things and wants to be part of the storytelling. So we often will send things out to them and say, what do you think informally? Just give us a little, little heads up on this one. How's it going to land? And we get some great feedback that way. All right, we have just a couple minutes left, so I've got one more question that just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. Um, and then uh, we'll do just a quick little parting thought from each of you just to make sure that everybody uh, leaves with some good tips in mind. So this one just resonated very well. Tips for managing senior leaders who are creative with lots of ideas that you don't have bandwidth for and may not be best practices. <laughs> Someone needs a hug. <laughs> Project. I have a great project for you. Here you go. <laughs> data. <laughs> data is yeah, good. They don't always listen to the data if they have a great shiny idea. We know this. Yeah. I don't know that I have great advice other than I hear you. <laughs> I do think the trade-offs for the carrot and stick thing will work sometimes. You can say, okay, yes, we can do that. However, if we do focus on that, this is what we can't do. Mm -hmm. So that has helped sometimes to say, oh, well, why can't we? Because we only have this resource, this and that. But if you want, we can prioritize that, but then we can't do A, B, and C. Yes. And oftentimes that will help spark them to say, oh. And we could say, how about we revisit this in you know, Q2? Perfect. And then by then they forgot about it. I'm going to use that video from the keynote this morning, the one of making that really great video. I think I'm just going to use that moving forward to show to people. I also think that sometimes executives are trying to fill in what they perceive as a gap. 
Yeah. And so if they don't see like cool things happening and you're not coming to them with ideas, they're going to they're going to try to fill it. And so sometimes it maybe it's with data coming back with a different idea and finding ways to proactively bring opportunities to them um, so that they're not <laughs> spending their time trying to fill in what they think is empty space. So distraction. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Let me show you what I'm working on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, no, that's great. So we are at four o'clock. Want to thank everybody um, real quickly. One last piece of advice from each of you for the for the crowd. Um, I would say if you are in a change implementation scenario, like I found myself, um, change methodologies work. Use them. I would say focus on connection because at the end of the day, it's really about making people feel connected and using those connections that already exist to broaden it out to others. So. And I would say just know that your employees are your most important asset and know them as individuals and get to know them, talk to them, and then treat them as individuals. True. And I would say never underestimate the power of storytelling, which is probably a good segue into our next <laughs> session. But it really is truly powerful. And it can, if you can tell a story well, it doesn't have to be slickly produced. It can be, you know, someone's iPhone, as we talked about earlier. But hearing these stories in people's and your, your employees' um, own words is so much more powerful than anything we as communicators could draft or writers or, you know, slave for hours over. So uh, good storytelling, I think, is just so critical and key. Well, and I love that you close with that after focusing on data throughout most of the panel because those two things aren't separate. You know, I mean, all those things can weave together. Totally. It's like we could say this is a, the art and science of what we do, right? The, the science is the data. We need to be grounded in data and not just come out with programs that aren't tied to business results and business need. But the, but the art of it is the storytelling piece, and that's why we're all here and what we all love to do. All right. Well, let's give our panel a big round of applause. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Communication Spotlight, a podcast for you, the communicator. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content featuring the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and save $300.